I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's another Men in Blazers podcast, Rog, and you're back. Oh, back. Back from England, David. Oh. Nation eerily caught up in the Winter Olympics. Yeah, except it might be a little classist. It might be a little too elitist. That's been the uh, complaint in the English papers. Really? They, they seem to have embraced it. As if, even though it is the FA Cup of Olympics. <laughs> it's like a dietetic chocolate bar. I arrived in Manchester to yeah. find the airport cheering. Yeah. They never normally get that excited when I touch down. Yeah. But it was because an English woman had just won the skeleton. Oh, yeah, she's from Maidstone. She's from down my way in Kent. Oh, that's the snowy part of England. <laughs> England yeah. was a world superpower all over again. Yeah. At a sport 98% of the country didn't even know existed <laughs> that morning. I've got to say, the whole nation was curling mad, David. Yeah. The women won a bronze. Mm-hmm. Our men won a silver. Yeah. It was like Andy Murray winning Wimbledon all over again. If they won the gold, I don't think the World Cup need take need have taken place. Yeah. It was that significant? The highlight for you, though, I do know this. Well, a, I mean, new, a new Olympic sport, which I is as random as a biathlon, but the two sports <laughs> that combined were dressing up as a Cossack and whipping pussy riot. That was... I mean, I needed a moment to enjoy at the... Uh, and, look, and violence and violence against women is a terrible thing. I'm not making light of it. However, the, the Winter Olympics brought me no joy whatsoever because, really, it took Rebecca Lua away from the English Premier League and put her in the middle of the night. I didn't see her once during Winter Olympics coverage. And they, they spited this by putting a bald man in as a replacement. It was almost like a... For a second, I thought it was Rebecca Lowe. And I thought, <laughs> Russia has not been kind to her. That's a John bad hair day, John That's Strong. a bad hair day. <laughs> a, you were saying that her hair, put, her hair people up in, uh, up in Connecticut, they got a break oh, when John Strong came on. <laughs> um, we're no people at all. We are as follically challenged as they come. Uh, but... John Strong's got much more but hair But that moment, that piece of video, and if you haven't seen it, just go online and find, just search Cossacks Pussy Riot and make sure you're not doing that at work because it could return some uh, not-safe-for-work images. But they were shooting, you should know, a protest video for a song called Putin Will Teach You to Love the Motherland. But the second they start singing in some little dodgy, unpopulated square or plaza... It was actually the Sochi Seaport. <laughs> it was. The down by the seaport... A bunch of Cossacks, and I didn't even realise that Cossacks still existed, Rog. I'm not even... I wasn't even sure what they were. They just turn up with whips and start... <laughs> just start whipping them. Whips. I mean, whips. So, it started me, and i got to tell they, you... They didn't just whip them. They what did they do? They whipped them like a Cossack. I mean, what are Cossacks, Rog? They're auxiliary police, on one hand. Do you know, there's eight Cossacks... But are they official? Are they... Or are they just like guardian angels? Are they... I think they are... I mean, you're asking me what Cossacks are. Yeah. Cossacks are a regular occurrence in my nightmares. There's a, there's a Yiddish phrase, die Cossacken warten ständig Bayern Teuer, which means the Cossacks are always waiting at the gate. But your great, great, great Uncle Samuel, who was the Cossack killer, The right? Cossack killer, yeah, yeah. Every family has one. They never killed the Cossack, but they, it gave us hope. Gave us, it's a bit like being an Everton fan. There was always hope. Yeah, we've got the Cossack killer. He's waiting. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're auxiliary police. They're like, um, essentially, ethnic Cossacks. They dress up the nationalist militia group kind of gentlemen. I think because Sochi police force were a little depleted and the stresses on the Russians were a little great, they allowed them, they kind of empowered them to... Free reign. Kind of wander around like Miami policemen. Wow. 
is there any equivalent of Cossacks in... I mean, it's not the Guardian... I suppose it was the Guardian Angels for a while. Curtis Silver. They, yeah. You know, there's eight Cossack colleges in Russia where your child can learn to be a Cossack. Oh, young George. Georgi. <laughs> I might have to send him off there. How do you prepare to be a Cossack? I don't know. It's just it's a mindset. There's a, there's a great joke that my great-grandma used to tell me. It's one of the first jokes I was ever taught and that I ever learned. Cossacks attack a Jewish village. <laughs> this is not going to end well. <laughs> Two teenage girls are hiding in the house with their old grandma. The Cossacks smash down the front door and find them. The two girls beg the Cossacks, please, please, do anything you want with us, but please leave Grandma alone. And you just heard the Grandma's voice coming out from under the bed. Come on, girls, a pogrom's a pogrom. <laughs> Imagine your great-grandma telling you that. God love you, Grandma Becky. Wow. She should have been more. She could have been the Sarah Silverman that of the day. Dark. What that a, is dark humour. What appealed to you about the whole thing? Uh, I don't know. It was just like watching two worlds collide. It was like watching a medieval world collide with what? with the modern world in a media moment on YouTube, caught in video, and then it ends up on Kathy Lee and Hoda. It's just a very... <laughs> Not in the balaclava face. It's just a very weird, weird world we live in. And yep. Sochi was a weird game. Why the whips? Why the whips? Yeah. Well... I mean, the whip has gone really out of fashion, and so the Cossacks are sort of owning it. Old school tasers. Yeah, pretty much. Truncheons. But anyway. Talking about Cossacks, yeah. I've got to say, in all seriousness, Ukraine. When I saw Yunukovych's countryside residence, yeah. it didn't really look like your Hamptons compound does in my imagination. <laughs> I just love any guy that has dozens of baseball bats in his desk. I just say this about Rod, as close as we are, neither of us have ever been to either one's house, ever. Nope. Never been to each other's nope. apartments, never been to each other's homes, we never been anywhere near them. No interest. No interest. But I do imagine that in your Hamptons compound... I've met one of your kids. You have a life-size galleon that yeah. you've creatively named Galleon in okay. big letters. But Who are you talking to? To see Ukraine suffer, I mean, to see Independence Square packed as it was with football fans when I was there for 12 days, 14 days, that felt like about six months. Felt longer. Over Euro 2012. And to see such bloodshed, it really is, Dave, it's a grim warning to every major sports body um, who right now are throwing their tournaments around to the highest bidder. Yeah, Very. without a doubt. You were going to go off to Ukraine, right, for the, for the U.S. men's national team, Ukraine friendly. Looks like it's going to be in Cyprus, David. Wow, a great home of football. Anyway, Rog... The Premier League, oh, an amazing pod coming up, by the way. Uh, we're going to talk about every last second goal uh, in, a, in a week in which a C-plus fixture list provided more than ample spills and thrills. We're going to cherish your Ravens and uh, welcome back GFOP, Billy Bean of the Oakland Athletics, back oh, to the pod. Love me some Billy Bean. I love it. You've, you've built quite a relationship with Billy Bean. I admire him greatly. Speak to him late at night on the phone. Uh, he sends me book advice, <laughs> book suggestions of what I should read. He's got very, very good taste in a library, is all I will tell you. Did he listen to the Barry Hearn pod? Um, he's going to give... I, I did tell him he's going to give us a life lesson. I'm interested, in getting, life lesson. I'm interested in getting Billy Bean and Barry Hearn together. I'd love I, think that. I think the two... Well, I know Barry, Barry would love it. Yeah, definitely would. Okay, Rog, 27 uh, through the season. Uh, it does not reduce classically, but I quite like 27-38s when I start reducing that to 9, 12 and 2 thirds <laughs> through the season. It just gives it a different colour. I think it's safe to say discernible patterns, Rog, can now be detected in the Premier League table. 
we're starting to get a sense of the teams who are making the top four. The little horses, the Jaguars, the Fearless Specialists, the Chihuahuas. Yeah. Although I must say it's more like a Mexican standoff than a race for the title right now. And all this, you talk about last second goals, I want to be clear that this week is the week that we're going to be talking about football on the surface only, in the same way as Animal Farm was about horses and cows. This pod is really about evil triumphing over good. Let's get right in there, Rog. Chelsea won, Everton nil. Uh, GFOP, one of our GFOPs, Matt Skiandra 10, summed up the game thus. Another disappointing El Blesico result for Nigel and at Rog Bennett. Key hashtag campaign win for at Embassy Davies and Little Horse. A stoppage time free kick scored by either Lampard, it could have been Ivanovic, it could have been John Terry, it could have been Tim Howard. Uh, it uh, you know, won the game for Chelsea in the, whatever, the third minute of injury time. And Everton cast adrift into seventh place in the Premier League. At Chu Davo. Yeah. Less, well, less a game of football. Yeah. More a descent into Dante's Inferno. A grief so deep the tongue must wag in vain. The language of our sense and memory lacks the vocabulary of such pain. We needed to win this game, Dave, to keep the dying embers of our season thank alive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we did what we've done so often over the last two and a half months. We dominated without scoring. Arsenal. Spurs, we did it. Now Chelsea. It's dark. Yeah. Look, I think that you're saying what certainly the commentators on the game didn't say. And most of people think, oh, it's great. Everton are fine coming in, getting a draw. The point means more to them. It's Chelsea who really need the win. And I think that's as you get to the end of the season, I think Everton, when we get to the end of the season, I really believe that those three points could be much more valuable. The potential three points lost could be much more valuable to Everton than the three points gained by Chelsea. I think Chelsea are going to finish more than three points adrift, and we'll get into why from winning the whole thing. So I think it was crucial for Everton. I think Everton came out, and I think they, I think Martinez set them up tactically so well. I think they watched the Man City games that Chelsea had played, adjusted to the way that Man City adjusted. They prevented the Chelsea counter-attack. And really, the performance in midfield from Barry and McCarthy, oh. Rog, was just fantastic. In, fr- in front of Jagielka and Distan, <laughs> who were also excellent. And then your midfield, Lampard and Ramirez. Yeah, certainly and not first choice. It lacks nuance. And I noted, and this note would come back to haunt me, you know, how Ramirez and Lampard just lacked what Chelsea really needed to win the game. We'll get back to that one in a minute. But it was numbing to watch. I mean, yes, Barry McCarthy excelled. But when you have Stephen Naismith as your focal point, It's a bit like having Ernest Hemingway as your designated driver. Everton's hopes kept raising, but in my heart, I knew Chelsea only had to get into third gear to slice and dice Mm. and defenestratus. You said on the show (coughs) that Everton had their chances, but they couldn't take them. And it was, it was really an Omar Little kind of game. You come at the king, you best not miss. And we did miss. Both teams, to me, bizarrely seemed to miss the same bloke from their lineup and on form, Romelu Lukaku. When Mourinho, after the game, he admitted... Uh, first to the press and then rather bizarrely and we'll chat about that later to Canal Plus that the club really are missing a striker Torres and Eto'o David possibly the worst double act in the world since Captain and Tennille got divorced yeah well Eto played much more of the game but and, and Torres came on late but you're right in, and I think that Mourinho is only stating fact is that Chelsea are lacking a proven goal scorer right now however they have a lot of people on that team with a lot of quality and the reality is if you want to go and get a point at Stamford Bridge 
you're probably going to have to score a goal and certainly at the point where you're dominating possession yep. and dominating the game which after a bright start for Chelsea Everton did for the rest of the first half but certainly as the second half wore on Chelsea came more into the game and started really dominating it was mostly the action was uh, you know at Tim Howard's end and Chelsea I always felt looked like scoring uh, you know it's funny I did get a bit cocky in the game watching Torres who seems to have a favourite spot just by the corner flag over the goal line where he seems to like to shoot the ball on a regular occurrence uh, I, I noted down that Downton Abbey's Mr Mosley has scored more often than, than Eto'o <laughs> although Torres. I must say Torres did get some criticism for hitting one of his shots into Eden Hazard's backside <laughs> but as we do know that's a very large backside on a small do. man it's very, very easy to do easy Dale Lefeu and Barkley not been the same players since their injury coming back and that, that gave me a little bit of concern. Roberto Martinez had said his goal for this Everton side is very Jurgen Klinsmann-esque. He wants them to be themselves in the company of the best opponents. Um, and that did change my expectations as the game went on. Before the game, I would have taken a point in a heartbeat absolutely and completely. Then halfway through that second half, I started to get greedy. It's an emotion that manifested itself in a, a feeling that we deserve to go ahead. And, and ultimately, I, was felt, I did left feeling this was a game that we should have won. But how we ended up with a taste of blood in our mouth. John Terry, bum-rushing Tim Howard. The most unsettling sight in football, Dave. Yeah, involving a screaming girl. But that's not what made the goal happen. The goal happened because as the Everton midfield tired... Barkley came on. Does not look like the player I completely agree as he was pre-injury. Ramirez took the ball deep inside his own centre circle and he ran a good 50 yards unchallenged to about 6-7 yards outside the, uh, the Everton penalty box and really just glided through and anybody who says oh like the ref was mugged he's not going to do it I defy you to watch a 50 yard run that ends in a static defender sticking out a leg and a player going over it certainly you know to some extent I don't think he initiated the contact but he certainly didn't run around it to go the other way a ref is going to call that foul every single time and, in fact, is more than likely going to book I, th- I thought it was a foul. Game. I thought it was a foul. There was an earlier foul on Torres where oh, Tor- no, Torres ridiculous. flung himself like yes, Robert Trapper's Spanish Civil War uh, soldier dying. But that was a foul. And, uh, then, uh, and then the quality of the delivery from Lampard. And it's these... And what often happens is that... And this is why, you know, teams at the end of the season, it's why you see a lot of English players come good at the end of a Premier League season. They want it really badly. They're determined. The fitness for Chelsea, their strength. They haven't won 7,500 or been unbeaten at Stamford Bridge for 7,500 games since about 1643 for no reason. Um, they were very determined to make it. It was a fantastic delivery. And whether John Terry hit the ball or not, he certainly caused that goal I, to happen. I think it was the overpowering musky scent of other people's violated loved ones <laughs> filling Tim Howard's nostrils. I, I promise you, even Dominic Hasek and Marty Brodeur would have coughed up that ball. That was it. Curtains on our season. At the Real Gig said, if John Terry screwing the game winner in extra time isn't proof that God doesn't exist, I don't know what is. I love the aftermatch. Yeah, it was the foot of not God. (laughs) I love the the interview with John Terry. Did you get the final touch, John? Says the commentator. Yeah, he says with a hint of a smile. Then he goes, oh, I think it came off Howard as well. Um, The commentator at the time said, he's hardly brushing off the plaudits, is he, John Terry, as he ran towards the corner? Oh, as he should be looking sad. At the point that the goal has got in at the third minute of injury time, he should be sitting there feeling really guilty about it. Have you ever taken credit for something you knew you did not do? 
No. To me, it's the most un-English thing ever up there with self-confidence and self-love. But I don't think it matters. Either. I don't think it matters. He created the goal, was a huge part of that goal being scored, whether or not it hit his foot or not. Uh, I've got to say, Tim Howard, he had an immense double save from the Hazard shot, the Ivanovic pile driver which he threw himself at like Clint Eastwood in the line of fire. I was sorry I would that the say game ended with him in this level of disarray. Agreed. But I do think, and we talked about this a lot during the Women's World Cup, that goalkeepers sometimes do get a little bit too much credit for when the ball hits them. I have a feeling we will see Tim Howard return to MLS sooner rather than later. That was yeah. my little gut feeling. Everton's Premier League season died this weekend. But it isn't over, which means that I have to say this. I admit to making a big mistake this season on the podcast. Something I've said is very, very wrong. I want to recant it. The FA Cup is the big one. <laughs> the trophy I've mocked all season long. <laughs> it's the only morsel we got left in our bare cupboard. Um, yeah. Match of the day statistic. Whenever any Mourinho team has topped the table in February, they've always won the title. Portugal, Italy, Spain and England. Davo. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to win it this season. They're at the top of the table because they've only conceded 21 goals. They, uh, but hello, them. You look at the number of goals they score, and even though it is drying up for Manchester City a bit, you know the fact is that they're being outscored by Arsenal. They're being outscored by Manchester City. They're being outscored by Liverpool. By the way, who have now scored more goals in the Premier League than even Manchester City, which is amazing. I've got to tell you, the Mourinho verbals, the danger of being overexposed, that just the English media coaxes him, he inserts himself into every narrative, even when his team isn't playing. I mean, the, while we were away, the verbal martial arts with which he defenestrated poor Arsene Wenger. I mean, it's like watching a master of Mourinho itchu. And today, the, the, the Canal Plus off-the-record conversation, I use off-the-record lightly because, to me, it looked like he clearly knew he was being videoed when he said, Samueletto, is he 32 or is he 35? With a face of derision that looked as if the room had suddenly filled with French flatulence. Wheels within wheels, Dave. A little bit too much, I feel. Yeah, but it's not... Mourinho is just doing... He's like an old man who says whatever is on his mind and what he believes to be the truth and they stick microphones in his faces they ask him controversial questions like you know and that did start the whole thing with Wenger started with Wenger he was the one who said that oh no this is Mourinho he's afraid of failure which is why he's talking about the little horses and that is pretty much as unreasonable to talk to say about Mourinho that he's afraid of failure than it was unreasonable of Mourinho to say that he is what he is did he say he was obsessed with failure? He's, or an expert a failure, failure specialist. A failure specialist. It was just handbags at that point. They're both saying ridiculous things in order to go and, you know, get a rise out of each other. So, but Mourinho is there. He says these things and he's in every paper because, frankly, he is more interesting than every other Premier League put manager together. put together. And so as a journalist, that's who you want to hear from. And by the way, the thing he said about Eto'o and Torres, the idea that he's upset that it was a private conversation, you can see that he, he almost looks right in the camera. I mean, he knows there's a camera there. I don't think that it's a mistake that this got out there. I just don't think it is. I don't know what kind of weird people management that is. But mark my words, you know, you'll probably see Torres and Eto score this week. I've got to say one last note. 74-year-old Samuel Eto. Chelsea's New Jersey, yeah, with their charity building bridges on it. Yeah, they love building bridges. Yep, those must be the most sinister bridges since the ones Alec Guinness built on the River Kwai, David. Yes, Rog, you're exactly right. 
Okay, Rog, moving on. Next game. Oh. Liverpool 4, Swansea 3. This was a fantastic game of football, Rog. It's defending overrated. Certainly if you're Martin Skirtle, it is. Liverpool surrender three leads but have enough goals in their starting eleven to vanquish Swansea and claim their 17th point from the last 21 and give their fans the thickening. At JRRPDX97 tweeted, is it possible for both teams to score too soon? Hashtag analysis. They scored, no, they scored too soon too often. That was the problem. What a game, David. What a game. Great game, but, you know, once again, and this is what's so impressive about Liverpool, I enjoy watching them play. I would watch them play anyone right now. Um, It's the performances of players like Jordan Henderson, for me, the player of the match. Sterling, Raheem Sterling, that pass to Sturridge for that goal, Rog, was just outstanding. One of the passes of the season. And... You know, you just never felt, I never felt, you could tell Liverpool fans in the stadium were a little worried, but I never felt that Liverpool weren't going to win this game. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Sturridge, I love that man. The definition of consistency, eight consecutive Premier League games he's scored in. He's now netting every 83 minutes in the league, better than Ronaldo. He loves wearing minutes. red. He Suarez, loves it in red. Every 86 minutes. Lionel Messi, God, 90, it takes him 95 minutes to score a goal. Yeah. Um, and I think that, the goal was so early, masked how bloody good it was. Mm-hmm. Sterling, that steal, that curled ball to Sturridge with the outside of the boot. Um, and a feeling of menace and doom for Swansea fans started pretty well as soon as they, the, they lost the ball on the edge of their box. That's how great this Liverpool counter-attack is. Um, and you felt like the game was over when Jordan Henderson scored in the 20th minute with that stunning chip drive. Started to think, why can't Liverpool win this league? Why can't they? Um, but then you ha- we forgot. One thing, playing Liverpool always arouses John Joe Shelby. It's like an aphrodisiac. It's like he's taken tiger penis. Mm -hmm. It's like the Chinese, they make a soup out of that. Yeah. How desperate have you got to be to drink tiger penis soup, David? The, um... Yeah, it's interesting. Did you see the embrace between John Joe Shelby and yes. Brendan Rodgers at the end of the game? Yes. I mean, that was a moment. Oh, I, I mean, remember. that to me is when is when Brendan Rodgers' girlfriend, uh, you know, when 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 he gets home, she goes, "Is there still something going on between you and John Joe Shelby?" Oh, I he would poured, imagine he poured John Joe's face like Cleopatra and Mark Antony or yeah. Buffy and the Angel. Eternity was in our lips, and yes, bliss in our <laughs> brows. Bent, he whispered. Into a nonplus John Joe's little ear. Yeah, it was you what? What? I don't understand. Did you love no. it? By the way, um, the other big Swansea change agent was Wilfred Boney. Yeah. Here's the question, though: How do you leave an eight-foot massive bloke marked at the corner? Yeah. Hard. How? How? I love watching him. He's like a man who seemingly had all of his emotions surgically removed before <laughs> taking the field. He plays the game as if he's stuffing chickens on a factory line. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure of this, but I've got a feeling he's the first Premier League footballing droid. Yeah. He's a magnificent player. And the game became a shootout on Liverpool's terms. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that occurred to me watching the game is I'm not sure that Skirtle understands the rules of the game. I think (sighs) that it's as simple as this, is that no one has ever actually explained to him that you're not allowed to wrestle players in your own area and ultimately you're going to get called for a penalty. Oh, that penalty's been coming all I think he watches game film of top NFL cornerbacks yeah. bringing down smothering wide amazing. receivers. I mean, Liverpool fans must know in their heart of hearts when you bring in on Calo Turi to steady your defensive line. Yeah. Rarely a good sign, is it, David? Yeah. And it's also more valuable to score in the opposition's <laughs> net than it is in your own one. Is another That's Jamie Carragher's influence. But I, big teams win when they play badly. You joke about that and concede three equalisers at home. When yeah. I watched Everton, in my heart, I had a feeling Chelsea would nick that goal. 
But watching Liverpool, in the same way, you always feel they'll nick the goal. They'll always find a way to gorge on the three points. Didn't come as a surprise, did it, David? Well, look, mental toughness is a huge part of sports. In individual sports, mental toughness is, is, is massive. In the collective sense, in a team game, the collective mental toughness of a team, which is borne out over the course of years and entire long seasons, an ability on the whole to like eke out victories when they should lose, it's a massive factor in football. One thing I'd say about Liverpool, and you're going to, Rod, you're going to roll your eyes at me. I'm telling you right now, England are going to play at the World Cup the way that Liverpool play football. England have no defence. But England are going to have a lot of very good offensive players. You're going to see Gerrard sit deep. He's going to ping passes. And between Sterling on the wing, between Sturridge up front, between Jordan Henderson, the marauding midfield, um, these little attack dogs. You're making me believe, I'm telling you, England are going to be better at the World Cup than as advertised and as most people think. We have a lot of people calling in to our our show saying Daniel Sturridge is still selfish. I think he's remarkable, and I find myself in a position like the prophet Balaam in the Bible who came to curse Israel but could only praise them. I think he's a remarkable footballer. Great tweet from at Kev Hegarty who asked the question, for Liverpool, Davo, and thus for England in your mind, imagine how many goals Liverpool's attacks score against Liverpool's defence in training. Yeah, well, Liverpool's defence would score a lot of goals against Liverpool's defence in training. <laughs> but yeah, look, Sturridge, it's, uh, we've said before, it's not, that he can't, it's not that he won't pass, it's that he can't pass. And the fact is, his responsibility on this team is not to pass the ball. His responsibility is to stick the ball in the back of the net, and he does it fantastically. Um, can Liverpool do it? The fresh legs, we saw Tottenham fail and Norwich right after their Europa League trip to Ukraine. Heavy-legged. Every man was a soldado on that team over the weekend for Spurs. They're six points clear now in the race for four for a ridiculously superior goal difference. My brother, huge Liverpool fan, I've never really talked about this. He's actually a massive red. And he said he was annoyed at Liverpool fans who were cheering for uh, uh, Chelsea against Everton because they wanted Everton to fall away in the fourth place race. He said Liverpool must look up, not down. They're chasing Chelsea. They can definitely do it. You look at these head-to-head clashes. I mean, Chelsea host Arsenal um, and City have to travel to the Emirates. They've all got two tough games. And Liverpool um, have actually got arguably the easier run-in. And I think they have Chelsea and Man City at home on the run-in. I mean, there are huge games, and these are the games that are going to decide the championship. I think it's going to be hard for Liverpool because they have three teams above them. It's just like in a golf tournament. You can chase down one team ahead of you. It's hard to go and chase down three. Having said that, it's going to come down to these big games. And if the other teams take points away from each other, and uh, if Liverpool can win those massive games at home, um, you know, title could be theirs. And who could say, you could actually make a case. I still believe Manchester City are going to win it. I still believe they're the class team. I still think they're the team front to back, all the way from goal, all the way up front, who are the strongest team in the Premier League. But you could now make a case for each one of these four teams having what it takes to go and do it. And I think each of them would end up if they you know, win at the end of this season. It's the wonderful thing about the Premier League. The right team will win, um, and you can make a case for all of them. Let's run through them. OK, Arsenal 4, Sunderland 1, the virile... My God, he's virile, Rog. Olivier Giroud returns... <laughs> not only I love men, Rog, I even love French men. <laughs> returns with two goals as Arsenal easily defeat Sunderland, whose flippant defending... Better buck up before this weekend's Capital One Cup final against Man City. No Ozil. Yeah. Dropped according to Wenger because of a convenient minor thigh problem. 
No issue for Arsenal. Giroud, naughty, naughty Giroud. A man with a daughter named Jade that was born in June. Frolicking with Celia Kay while we were away, David. A woman who seems to be famous for being mostly naked most of the time and only famous for that. Wenger said his performance was a tribute to, quote, his strong character. To me, it was a tribute to the power of being refreshed and uh, the hunger for redemption. He scored within four minutes and 27 seconds. I have to be said, Arsenal look once more like the Arsene Wenger team of earlier in the season. Though I must say, Sunderland made it very easy. Their defence was very, very CONCACAF. <laughs> conquer Um Yeah, another great performance from Arsenal. One would have to say the performance of the weekend in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, they're sitting there. They're second in the league. They're uh, just one point behind Chelsea and still not being taken seriously enough for us. 13 home games unbeaten. I think few teams would have stopped Riziki's sumptuous four-man Arsenal pass and run move and really gutted their bewildered opponents. Um, sadly, Josie continues to run around as sadly as Amy Mann in one's the loneliest number. Um, it's very, very tough. I mean, he's, he, he's still working away. I, I do believe he's going to score the winner in the Capital One Cubby Cup, Dave. Right now, he has two more Premier League uh, goals in his career than you and I do mm-hmm. put together. But probably the best news of the week for Arsenal fans Piers Morgan's been fired. Oh, my God. At Brew Beans 3. As an Arsenal fan, men in blazers, this is better than a trophy. Yeah, I think somebody else then tweeted in, that's how long it's been since you won a trophy. <laughs> well done, America, by the way, I have yeah. to say. It's the best thing you've done to an Englishman since you booted out King George mm-hmm. III. Well, it is the power of the free market. And, you know, as a capitalist, I like that. The free market decided, nobody watched his show, and, uh, and, and he is gone. I have to admit, I felt a bit like a munchkin at the end of The Wizard of Oz when I heard the news. Yeah. David Carr wrote, it's an unhappy collision between a British television personality who refuses to assimilate the only football he cares about is round. We are now the most unpopular Englishmen in America, Roger. You've assimilated very well, though. You think? Can I just say one (laughs) quick thing? Uh, I love that line where uh, they they said, quote, Jeff Zucker, he said, is thinking of other ways of using me, Mm -hmm. said Piers Morgan. (laughs) I'd love to see him as a shim to wedge in under a wobbly yeah. table. Exactly. One of them is a Cossack in that scenario, <laughs> and one of them is Pussy Riot. Um, Rog, Not in Manchester United are back. Crystal Palace nil, Man United 2. Uh, in truth, a grubby performance and a wonder strike from newly contracted Wayne Rooney. They're enough to fend off Rebecca Lua's Palace Aww. and then their three-match win bliss yep. on this run. Dressed like a team of uber-athletic sushi chefs, United laboured. They tripped over each other, particularly Rooney and Mata. Mm-hmm. Somehow, they got the job done. The best part of my weekend was watching Fellaini sky an open goal shot. It's probably the most pleasure I had. Uh, but after 60 minutes, that old whore's tell, Shamak gave United the relief of a penalty. And then Rooney earns his $500,000 this week. With an old-school Rooney strike, he made it look very, very easy. It's actually incredibly difficult to keep the ball down like he did. But does Wayne Rooney, to 2019, age 33, make sense to you, David? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is it that valuable? I think one would have to say, as you look at Manchester United's value and how badly they needed to keep Wayne Rooney. He's not beloved by their fans and never will be. 
but they're still going to sell a lot of shirts. He still is the guy who looks most likely to score goals for Manchester United. And I don't think they could afford to lose him. What a career. I mean, he, to me, I agree with you. He's a little Dutch boy who put his thumb in the dike. If he had left, David, symbolically, it would have looked as if Manchester United's walls were tumbling down. They had to keep him. He yeah. had such leverage in that negotiation. But what a career at United. You're right about being loved. He's not loved. Peaks and troughs continuously briefing the media he wants to leave, being humiliated by Sir Alex. But each time, and this is what's remarkable about him, he emerges stronger and with a bigger contract. I mean, they're paying him now. They must pay him with one of those big polystyrene checks every week. United had no choice but to break the bank and keep him. Yeah, well, look, Wayne Rooney, to me, he's a footballer. He's not a forward. He's not a striker. He's not a midfielder. He's, not, he's just a footballer. He loves the game of football. He still plays like he's a kid playing on the playground. And uh, it's his quality of football. He just loves playing the game. And the fact is, he's able to block everything else out when he's on that field. And he just has a vicious desire to win. He's almost like the English Luis Suarez. You know, they're sort of similar personalities. They're people who just love, love winning and love playing football. Okay, Rog, Man City 1, Stoke 0. City struggled to break down their lowly opponents. Where have all the goal orgies gone, Rog? This game was so dull. It made the beach football scene in Downton Abbey look exciting. <laughs> that, was, that, that was 1923 football, David. That was 1923 football. Although in the background, I noticed there's somebody doing keepy uppies, which they didn't do in the night. They didn't do then. The boy would break your foot to try and do yeah. keepy uppies with that. They play with such a heavy ball back. That was such a beautiful scene. Can't talk about it for spoiler alert. Yeah. But I must say, Mrs. Hughes and Carson made me believe in love, David. <laughs> Um, City hung over after their Barca beating they huffed, they puffed, they finally blew Stoke down 70 minutes, it felt like a movie we've seen before until Yaya Toure tricked that ball across the line credit to Stoke, they defended resolutely which is a euphemism for stuffing 10 men into the box but what happened to those golden days of the 4 and the 5 nils, David? Yeah, well, I think they're done they've moved over to Hull, Rog um, well, yeah, it's, but this is some of the pressure obviously getting to the team at the end of the season. This is a very, very close race. And all of the players and all of the people around the team and the coaches, there's just a lot of nervousness around these games. And you feel it. The one thing that's really interesting this, this for a, uh, that anybody would notice watching the Premier League is how tense the crowds were at the game. The Liverpool fans were tense, the Chelsea fans were tense, the Everton fans were tense. When they different see world. Jekka whiff from a yard out with yeah. the open goal at his mercy. Lamppost. And then he manages to show he can actually hit the target by kicking the post in anger. The commentator goes, how does Jekko miss that? And my seven-year-old uh, just gave a wise answer, because he's Jekko. And finally, Cardiff nil, Hull 4. Rog, remember Hull? They're in the Premier League too. Hull continues to fight for safety. Two goals from back-to-life Nikola Jelovic. Remember him? Powering their oh. biggest away win ever in the top flight, Rog. Yep, the meeting of the two worst owners in the Premier League. Yep. One who changed the team's colours, the other who rebranded the name. Yep. It's football's version of Molotov and Ribbentrop meeting in <laughs> 1940 to thrash out the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact. Jelovic scoring, Davo, I will say it rubs salt in my wounds. He's turned into a goal-scoring human being once more. Uh-huh. And Cardiff's atrocious def- defending probably was what turned him into that. Three goals in six games for Yella. Hull should remember to sell him at the end of the season. He's got the life cycle of a fruit fly. But the six points between Hull in 11th, Davo, and the relegation zone right now. Yeah. 
it's still a fantastic, fantastic table. Um, and amazing, you know, West Ham are only one point ahead of that. So, really, a two-team mid-table with Newcastle and Southampton and everybody else from West Ham down, you know, still wanting to get to above 40 points. Okay, joining us now on the pod, Rog. Um, I'd say, along with Barry Hearn, you know, one of the two horsemen of the apocalypse in terms of GFOPs, in terms of the, the people that they love hearing on our show. Apocalypse, in a, it's a lovely apocalypse. Oh, we love the apocalypse. Um, Billy Bean, the general manager, minority owner of the Oakland Athletics, Rog. He's run the A's for 16 seasons, and this year... The club won the American League West for the sixth time in his tenure. His innovative work with the A's and Sabermetrics inspired the book and film Moneyball, in which they fictionalized Bean by having someone even uglier than him play his role. Bean himself played as an outfielder for six seasons in the major leagues before moving into scouting and management and taking over the GM role in 1997. He is a diehard football fan, has consulted with a number of Premier League clubs on his management philosophy. Welcome back to the pod, Mr. Billy Bean. Well, thanks for having me on. I feel like... uh... Alec Baldwin getting a coming back to Saturday Night Live or Buck Henry, like as if uh, I hadn't completely blown it on my first pot appearance. Oh, we love courage, Billy. We love having you back. I was actually reading AthleticsNation.com as you do, and they called you a successful romantic in a world of jocks and analysts, and it made me fall in love with you all over again. <laughs> well, that, that's you know, you know you, you we, we we get a chance to uh, go back and forth a little bit, Raj, but I, I can't think of a higher compliment than that. And coming from the uh, Athletics Nation, uh, some of my most favorite people in the world, uh, I couldn't ask for any more, other well, than the introduction you gave me. We, we do have a bit of back and forth. You, we, I'm going to have you as a guest on my other pod today in historical fiction. You recommended Wolf Hall to me. Yeah, and uh, and I uh, also uh, I think you'd mentioned on a previous pod about H uh, H H H. Uh, I think I got four H's down, which was a book that was sent to me by my my owner uh, actually after a trip to Prague, and uh, I highly recommend it as well. So uh, so yeah, it keeps keeps uh, keeps me sane uh, in the sports world a little bit. I think we're going to start the Billy Bean Book Club as a men in places premium. Um, Major League Baseball spring season starting. They want to open the season in Australia this year. The A's weren't invited to play. Diamondbacks and Dodgers are going. Um, you're rumoured to be looking at Taiwan in 2015. Do you look at football's global branding strategy with Envy when they do the pre-season trotting all over the place? And do you look at it kind of with wonder and think about what baseball can do to, to, to replicate that branding? No, actually, well put, Raj. I, absolutely. I mean... Uh you know, we've had the opportunity twice to, uh, to open up the season in Japan in 2008 and then 2012. And it was, first of all, from a baseball experience, it was great. Uh, from a cultural experience, uh, it was probably, you know, as, as good, both trips were as good a trip uh, as I've ever been on uh, personally as well. And, I mean, it's, uh, listen, I mean, the whole world is uh, sort of trying, every business is trying to expand beyond their own borders. And I think you're being short-sighted if you don't. I mean, I never played a minute of uh, soccer slash football my entire life, but yet now I'm a consumer, not just somebody who watches it on TV, but also uh, somebody who, you know, would, would go to games, would pay for tickets, would uh, you know, pay for jerseys, uh, despite the fact that I need a new one every year because of the Premier League teams. But uh, uh, so no, I think it's it's a great business idea. I think it's just a great cultural experience. We, you know, we sort of kind of unofficially have you know. T- Baseball, we, we always like to volunteer our club, and, and 
there is, a, I think, I have a, it's not official or anything like that, but there's been whispers, I think, more coming from me that there's a chance we get, that, that, or at least teams could open up. Uh, one of the time, uh, uh, countries they've spoken about is Taiwan, which has a real, you know, strong uh, fan base with, with baseball. And heck, we volunteered to go to Australia, but I think they were sick of uh, seeing us internationally. So Goodison Park for you, Billy. The Oakland Days opening up the season at Goodison Park. <laughs> the Pies. Yeah, well, don't, well, well, don't they call it uh, Darby? Don't they call it the what is what is the name of uh, Darby's uh, uh, grounds? Isn't it the, the baseball? baseball oh, yeah. I like that marketing synergy. Yeah, no, it'd be good. Hey, uh, Billy, it's Davo. What you talked about the cultural experience of going to Japan. What was your favorite cultural experience in Japan? You know, you really—it's an amazing. It's—I mean, I'm not saying it for the plot. It's an amazing country. It I is. Mean, uh, just, right. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's just—it's breathtaking. We had a our corporate council. We had taken a train up to see Mount Fuji. We'd taken a bullet train up, and then we had to take another train. He had left his camera on the second train. And when we got back to the hotel, somebody had actually returned the camera to the, uh, the hotel in Tokyo. And, and we were, you know, at least three hours north, uh, or I think I believe it was north, uh, going on the train. I mean, that's it was just the, the idea that, that you would lose your camera on a second train and that it would be returned back to the hotel was, was It was probably hand-delivered back there. And they gave, you, well. they gave you back a more recent version. They updated yeah. the, uh, the yeah, technology. Yeah. That, wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened in Liverpool. <laughs> no, it probably wouldn't have done. It wouldn't have happened in New York City either. Let's, let's talk about football. Uh, you're about to start the grind of the baseball season, 162-game regular season. When you see teams like Tottenham Hotspur, Billy, complaining about how hard the football slog is, did you laugh at it? You know, 38 games, a couple of Europa games to kind of places that normally just arms uh, traders and narcotics, white slave trade people go in Eastern Europe, possibly for the Europa League. But do you laugh at this? 162 games you're about to start playing. Well, you know what? When I first started watching the game, uh, I, I actually did. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why, if there's two games in a week, somebody was, you know, uh, getting days off and the, and the rotation, you know, say that uh, Benitez would use it. It wasn't something because I understand too. I hadn't played the game, uh, but then as I sort of followed, I realized uh, the beatings that uh, the body takes. You know, particularly such a. I mean, the, the amount of you know, as I've seen it, the amount of coverage a, a player. During the course of a game, and then also understanding too, as you know, a guy who, who who did play, you know how your body responds. I'm a little more sensitive to it now than I certainly was at first. And and, and listen, those you know, I, you know, all you have to do is see one of those guys take their shirts off and realize that there's <laughs> nobody, no, nobody is uh, shirking their uh, conditioning responsibility. These guys are in phenomenal shape. I, I think and, R- uh, Ramirez runs more in one game for Chelsea than Babe Ruth did in his entire career, <laughs> statistically. <laughs> Well, and Babe and the Babe jogged. Remember, because <laughs> he hit it over the fence. <laughs> so he was fat because, or excuse me, heavy because uh, he, he because he uh, hit a lot of home runs. He got to jog. He didn't have to run too many places. <laughs> Can we talk about the Premier League race? I mean, all the teams at the top have obvious flaws. You're a man who's kind of made a career out of knowing how to handle flaws and balance risk. How, how do you handicap things at the moment? Wow, you you know what? I, I tell you, a month ago, I, I, I thought Man City was going to run away with it. I mean, uh, you know, then they started getting some injuries. Uh, you know, Guerrero going down, and because uh, they, they were just firing on all cylinders, that's when they were just you know blowing teams out five, six goals to uh, to nil. Uh, but you know, since they ran into that little injury spurt, they seem like they've spluttered a little bit. But they, if you asked me a month ago, I said that, and now that sort of 
Chelsea has got their hands on the reins, uh, you, you, you sort of, you know, somehow when Mourinho is in that position and you can see the finish line, you, 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 you get a feeling if they find a way to score one goal, they're going to find a way to win the match. Uh, I'm sort of still rooting for Arsenal. I love watching Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool, I, listen, I don't discount Liverpool. I feel, the whole year I keep hearing people talking about, oh, they don't have this, they don't have that. But the schedule sets up pretty nicely for them. Uh, and if you're talking about rest, you know, they're not having to deal with Europe. And, you know, right now they're the, as dynamic uh, offensive club as there is in the uh, in the league, especially with Man City sort of slowing down a little bit. So I, I wouldn't completely no, discount the Liverpool. And we were just saying earlier, if they can just teach Skirtle the rules of the game, <laughs> that you're meant to head it into the opposition's goal and you're not allowed to manhandle people in the area, I tell you, they could they could do very well. They, the Suarez and Sturridge remind me of the Bash brothers, Maguire and Canseco, with more teeth and less peds. Can such an imbalanced team really be a threat in your estimation? Well, listen, I mean, it, it, all you have to, it doesn't, you know, whether you win 1-0 or you win 4-3, you know, ultimately you just, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I don't discount them at all. And like I said, the schedule seems to favor them pretty well and the fact that they, you know, if they can stay healthy and, uh, you know, Jordan Henderson's playing great. And uh, so, you know, they may not be as deep maybe as some of the other squads, but, I once again, you look at even the games they lost during the uh, uh, Christmas, but you know they lost, uh, the Mad City game. They could have easily won. They could have won the Chelsea game. Uh, those were away, and so uh, so I think they got them at home this, uh, next round. And uh, so no, I, I absolutely think they could. Definitely. Um, so going into this season, going into this Major League Baseball season, Rog and I are near fights in baseball. We actually both enjoy it. We like baseball. It. It's like chess with chewing tobacco. We love it. But <laughs> who? <laughs> Which, you mentioned that, right? I don't chew tobacco anymore, but <sighs> I started doing it when I was playing chess with my roommate in the minor league. <laughs> you did. <laughs> so, well, I like that. You, you, you literally played chess with chewing tobacco. That's yeah, amazing. Would, Who needs baseball he, when you've got real chess with chewing tobacco? Well, there's a lot of downtime in the minor leagues, and, it, <laughs> and, and ultimately, because we were baseball players, it would ultimately end with me getting mad at him for taking too long to make a move, and we'd end up getting into a mad wrestling match with. Uh, oh, Billy, come and play chess with us everywhere. when you're next in New York. Come and play chess with us in the crap part of So obviously, we're obviously going to be we're obviously going to be rooting for Oakland this season, big time. Uh, I'm decking out my office in green and yellow. But who, if, if there's a, if we would just said there's a four horse race in the Premier League, if there's a four horse race in baseball, Major League Baseball this year, who do you think it is? Oh man, yeah, you know our, our season is so long. But uh, look, listen, uh, um, you know I'll, I'll eliminate us because uh, that just wouldn't be right. But I, I mean, I think I think we would do like our club coming back. We think we've made some improvements. But uh, you know, gosh, uh, you know the Tigers are, you know the Detroit Tigers are. Really good. Uh, That's the, good. The, uh, thanks for that, clarifying. I thought you might be talking about Hull there before you said Detroit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're yeah, so uh, the Detroit City Tigers. But you know the other thing, Tigers too have got they, they've got some really star caliber players in Cabrera, Verlander, Scherzer, which really you know should should do well in the postseason situation, which we found out the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, they've, they've got a great club over the National League. Cardinals got a great club again, too. Those are three off the top of my head. And in the AL East, whoever comes out of there, if they, whoever can win that division is going to be a very good team because it's probably, uh, I think the AL West, but the AL East is one of the deeper divisions. So 
Well, off the top of my head, you know, it's, uh, you know, Detroit certainly looks good. And, and, you know, we're in the division of the Rangers who are always going to be there. But Billy, gonna, like, this, little, this was a trick sorry. question. So just so you know, we wanted to see whether you would or wouldn't mention Arsenal as a title challenger, your beloved Arsenal, the team no one's mentioning as possible contenders. You mentioned Detroit. You mentioned the Dodgers. You mentioned the Tigers. You two are leaving Arsenal out of the uh, the title race. How, how are you feeling about Arsenal? Are they... You're a, you understand team mechanics. Are they falling like a leaf? Or are they poised on the shoulders of the leaders with one lap to go and the 1,500 metres about to make their race? Oh, well, you know, the great, well, the great thing about sports is your, uh, your next game, you know, uh, and, and you know the narrative even the Premier League, you, you, know, you have one great uh, match on a Saturday or Sunday and the narrative completely changes. I mean, listen, I listen to the... Uh, Norwich fans after they beat Tottenham the other day, and, you, and it's a completely different <laughs> mindset. And so uh, it only takes, listen, that next match. Uh, that being said, you know, the first guy to go to the floor when Oswald missed that or didn't convert on that penalty was me. Then it was him. So, because uh, it just completely set the tone for the rest of the game, because they were, you know, they were, you know, they were actually playing great up to that point. And, uh, but, I, you know, it, they got a tough schedule, as we all know. Uh, I'm rooting for them. And uh, it really just takes, you know, one uh, one good match to sort of turn it around. So I'm not completely losing hope, but I just think the schedule is going to be difficult for him. Can we talk about Ozil for a second? The Coco Crisp of of, uh, of Arsenal. Is it? What would you What would you say to him in your your experience as a as a GM? You've worked with players, some of whom are um, very sensitive, creative types. What What do you see when you look at that player? A gentleman that can win games single handedly. Is a little erratic. He's not a guy who's consistently winning those games uh, week in, week out. What would you say to him right now? Where do you believe he is? Well, you know, I think ultimately, you know, he's in the prime of his career. The talent takes over. You, you just, uh, you, you just got to keep running him out there. The idea that you sort of, I mean, baseball you're playing every day, so you can actually give a, a guy a mental day off, which happens occasionally. But you know, when you're playing once a week, you just keep running out there. The biggest difference, and I may be completely wrong because I qualify everything by saying I don't know anything about tactics and football. No the way, uh, no the way, Billy. Yes, you're yes, good company so here, friend. But they were playing their best when uh, Walcott was there, and he was playing great. And when he went down, excuse me, when he went down, uh, you know, it just seemed like they've been kind of battling uphill a little since then. So, it, it, I mean, Walcott really looked like he was coming into his own this year, and he just, just you know, so quick and opened up the field. And uh, so, you know, in some respect, uh, probably put a lot of pressure on the other guys. But when you got talented players, you just got at some point, you, you just keep running them out there, and the talent will take over, and just try and keep the focus off them. There's a sense amongst many that Ozil, new to the Premier League, you know, a lot of people didn't know how to play against him. But as the season has gone on, other managers, their scouting has figured him out a little bit. Obviously, that's something which has pioneered, almost certainly, in baseball and American sports. Like a pitcher moving leagues. Well, or, or you know, that, you know, especially, I'm sure you found it with, like, hitters, and you, you figure out how to pitch to them and what to go and do it. How does a great baseball player adjust when somebody's figured out what his weakness is or what his strength is and how to, how to, how to master that? Well, when you've got a young player, uh, that, that's essentially what will weed out a lot of, you know, you get a young player at baseball call and have a great, you know, first couple months. And then eventually the league sort of starts to figure out how to pitch him. Uh, and he then has to make the adjustment if he's going to stay in the big leagues. As they say, and I'm it's sure it's, it's the case with any pro sports league, it's the hard part isn't getting there. The hard part is staying there. 
And uh, and really, that's what separates guys. That being said, as it relates to Oslo, you're talking about a guy who plays on one of the best national sites uh, in the world. He played on one of the biggest clubs in the world and one of the best leagues in the world. And so you're not talking about a guy who has improved himself. So uh, any adjustments that, uh, you know, any adjustments, I'm sure he's capable of making them and he's made them. And the other thing, too, you got to listen. I mean, you kind of hear that even the narrative now. It's like when you, when you came over in the first, you played great. And, uh, you know, and then people start attaching reasons as to why, well, he's not physical enough. And, you know, I started thinking, well, he was great the first two months. Did he get skinny in the last couple of months? <laughs> and uh, and so uh, so you got to be careful in making sure that, you know, people always want to attach some narrative to temporary results. And, and at the end of the day, you know, if this was a case of a whole year or two years, but the fact is is he has performed at a high level in that league and therefore is probably capable of doing it again. And uh, But you could you could even see his body language, you know, on that thing. I mean, he, he's certainly struggling. But then when he missed the penalty kick, he was, you know, kind of, it was bothering. And let, frankly, but, he know. might just be completely yeah. depressed by the complete lack of sunlight and daylight in an English winter. That's entirely possible <laughs> as well. He has that, that, he has that look on his face. Point. Oh. Yeah, that was my next point too. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty rough winter over there, from what I understand. The, uh, the I want to just change gears for one second and talk about the U.S. team, Billy. Julian Green, 18-year-old attacker, born in Tampa, moved to Germany when he was two, plays for Bayern Munich in their second team. He's a precocious goal goal scorer. Uh, your friend of mine, Jurgen Klinsmann, eager to get him into the mix, bringing uh, an uptick to the U.S. talent pool. Um, at Tom Marcus 96 tweeted us and said, who knew the legacy of the Cold War would be a stockpile of footballing talent for the U.S.? Can you talk about clubhouse chemistry and your experience of bringing a new young stud into the mix? Does it make everyone yeah, play know. harder for their places, or can they be rejected like a donor organ? <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, that's, that's a question we get a lot in Oakland, uh, you know, because we, have a, we do have a lot of turnover, and by and large we have a very young team. And I remember the first year, we, uh, one of my early years as a GM, 2000, we had uh, a very young pitching staff, and we were battling for first place in the middle of the year. And the, the narrative and the writing then, the media was saying, well, they're too young to win. And my response at the time was, listen, I'd rather be young and talented and inexperienced than, than just old and inexperienced. <laughs> and so uh, talent, talent at the end of the day, in sports, talent rules out as far as chemistry is concerned. Uh, you know, we've always had a great reputation in Oakland of having great clubhouses. And, and usually, you know, by and large, we've had some, uh, uh, some poor years, but by and large, most of that is, I think, due to the fact that we've, we've had quite a few years, we've had winning teams. And it, a, a, a sports team is just like a business, just like anything else in life. When things are going good, guys are getting along, guys are all enjoying themselves. When things aren't going so good, uh, people start pointing fingers. And it's more intense in a clubhouse, a sports clubhouse, because, uh, I mean, you're around, you're very close proximity to each other for, for a, a long, long time. And so if things aren't going good on the field, they usually don't go well there. So to me, chemistry has always been a byproduct of success on the field. The idea that you could sort of manufacture it, uh, I've never completely bought into that. So young versus old, give me the young, talented guy who's inexperienced over just the uh, older, experienced guy any day of the week. And I byproduct, what you're saying is that, therefore, clubhouse chemistry is overrated. It's overestimated in terms of its value. Yeah, well, it makes winning more fun, that's for sure. But I can guarantee you, most losing teams, I mean, you listen, you listen to Premier League, whenever clubs are struggling, you, you hear all the stuff coming out of the, you know, the, the workouts, and they don't like this manager, they don't like this, he's too hard, he does this, and, and you never hear that from a winning team. 
And so, uh, uh, yeah, so that's just, that's, I'm putting two and two together. My own experience is, A, both as a player and as an executive, where winning teams usually have pretty good chemistry they, because they're all getting along, uh, because they're all having uh, great seasons. Last question for you, Billy. We, we had Barry Hearn uh, on last week. He gave us his 10 life lessons, which we hope will become a regular feature on this show. If we were to have the honour of bringing you on stage, Billy Bean, something we'd very much love to do one day, and ask you for a life lesson, just to give us one, what would it be and how did you learn it? Well, I'm, I'm almost certain I plagiarized this somebody, but if nobody's ever heard this, let's just assume I made this up. Uh, but they say what they say, everybody knows uh, two sentences, just about everybody knows two sentences about every subject, so I figure if you know three you're going to be viewed as the smartest guy in the room. So that's about it. But uh, once again, I'm sure I plagiarized that from somebody, but uh, there's a chance I made it up myself. Not on this podcast, which is all that matters as far as we're concerned. Billy, we love having you on. We love checking in with you during the season. We love the idea of Billy Bean coming down and playing chess with Chewing Tobacco or Chewing Tobacco Substitute, which is a joy uh, in store. And all we can say is we wish you uh, and the Oakland A's all the uh, great fortune and, and great success for the season ahead. It's great to have you. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, hopefully I get out again. Thanks, Billy. Dominate. Great man, Rod. Oh, I love him. I really, every time we speak to him, I leave feeling that my life has changed a little bit. <laughs> hopefully for the better, David. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, okay, Ravens, Rod, from Steve. L in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Dear Rod and Davo, this pains me to contemplate, but I've come to the realization that barring some sort of miracle, my beloved Fulham will be relegated to the championship this year. I find myself thinking back to the good times with Roy Hodgson and Clint Dempsey. You remember back when he wasn't crap? Sticking a fresh FFC decal on my Jeep window every year and trying to convert pounds to dollars to figure out how much my replica Jimmy Bullard jersey actually cost. The answer was always way too much. Yet, watching them play lately feels like going to visit a dying loved one to whom doctors have given just 12 weeks to live. I'm not sure whether to slowly distance myself from them now so it will hurt less when they're gone or to spend as much time with them as I can until the sad, painful end. I know you guys don't have any personal experience with seeing your clubs, Everton or Chelsea, (laughs) relegated. Yeah, none. But please, I need your sage advice on how to handle this. Signed, sadly, Steve. Oh, Steve, come here. Come and have a cuddle. Oh, Virtual cuddle, a suboptimal cuddle. Yeah, it's never a good sign, Dave, when your new manager has been described by former players as, quote, Saddam Hussein-ish, <laughs> a demon headmaster, and the last dictator in Europe. He, to me, he looks less a football manager, Felix Magath. He looks more like a star architect. It's like hiring Frank Geary to run your team. He's very dapper. See, I look at it, and I think that actually... You can't be this fatalistic at this point. Fulham, yes, are on the bottom of the table with 21 points. But they win one and draw one. They could be out of the relegation zone. Um, they won't. They might do. They won't. They might do, Rog. You've got to fight. You can't ever, never, what is it, Winston Churchill? Never, 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 never give up. See, my, my advice would be less fight because it's pointless at this point. My advice would be stay the course. Stay the course, Steve L from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I mean, I realise it this week, David, when Chelsea won Everton nil. I think Fulham are going to stay up. I don't. Football's I think a, they're going to stay football's up. Football's a cruel game, David. Yeah. And you know what I realised when 93rd minute, 
It's why we watch. To feel emotion, to feel alive. To feel the emotions we're meant to experience in real life, but they're too numb to. I just think love, and your love for Fulham, Steve L, with your bumper stickers on your car, mm-hmm. it's just a variety of pain, which is a form of life. And grief is the price we pay for love. Yes, exactly. Of all the pains, the greatest pain is to love and to love in vain. George Granville, 17th century poet, probably a Fulham fan. <laughs> um, this one is from Sheila DeWitt in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dear Positive and Dave, I trust you and other GFOPs are in mourning this week after the death of Maria Francisca von Trapp, the last surviving sibling of seven brothers and sisters who were portrayed in the Broadway musical and the film The Sound of Music. She passed last week at a home in Stowe, Vermont. I believe her family owned the Trapp Family Lodge or something. Roger, aged 99 years old. Magnificent life. Is this a good omen for the US von Trapp's 2014 world campaign? Or is it a dark wings, dark words? Please, can you use your powers of prophecy to inform a nation that is holding its breath? Well, first, before we get to... Von Trapp, who I yeah. believe was nicknamed Mitzi, we'll call him yeah. Mitzi. We should say a word about Harold Ramis. Yeah. And to say, to watch Animal House in dark, cold nights as a teen in Liverpool. Yeah. It was really to be taught how to live a life that was laughing. I live around the corner from the firehouse featured in Ghostbusters, and last night as I was driving back, um, the uh, people were putting wreaths outside the firehouse. They put out a huge Ghostbusters, they're flying a Ghostbusters flag this morning there. I'll say, I met um, Howard Ramis a bunch of times in New York. He's a sweet, he's a kind, he's a thoughtful man. Um, Paul Weingarten in the Chicago Tribune, he wrote, more than anyone else, Howard Ramis shaped our generation's ideas of what is funny, which is utterly true. Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. But Mitzi von Trapp, David, woman who spent 30 years as a missionary in Papua New Guinea, once the band stopped touring in 1956, she adopted one, a guy called Kikulimi Wunzi, who lived with her in Vermont, in that stow place. She's got four, there's four great-grandchildren now who are touring as the Von Trapp, Sophia, August, Amanda, and Melanie. Mm-hmm. U.S. soccer, if you're listening, consult a patent lawyer, sue them for copyright infringement. <laughs> but is it a good sign or is it a bad sign, David? It's, it doesn't make any difference. The U.S. men's national team are going to the World Cup, we're going to Brazil, and we're going to win it. Oh, you know what? I hope we win it, and I hope we wear a special commemorative patch at the World Cup. Yeah. With that on you. I assure you it's a good omen. I think it's like, it's no longer I who live, but the Von Traps live on through me. Oh, I just say so long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. Goodbye, Mitzi. What a life. Uh, Rog, and what a weekend. One quick, one quick uh, raven that came in, David, and yeah. we'll post this on our Tumblr, because it's a very important anniversary, David. Yeah. It's the 29th anniversary, and we found this out thanks to Charlie Bell, Mercersburg Academy, class of 71. Mm-hmm. Since you put on a gold medal winning performance, March the 1st, 1985, in what is called, he said... You'll undoubtedly recall Davo spent time here with Benicio del Toro, the Mercersburg Academy in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, Benicio del Toro was known to his basketball Benicio. teammates as Benny del Turnover. Yeah. Um, and you were in a, and Rebecca Lowe also went there. You yep. won the Literary Society, the, uh, what was it called, David? There's a week, and it's actually going on probably around now. It's, it's a declaimers. Well, it's the Irving Marshall Week, where the whole school is divided, Rod, into Irving... Or Marshall, and Irving wears red and white, and Marshall wears blue and yellow, and I was actually put in the red team, Rog. I was a red. It's the only time in my life 
that I've had to wear red. I was in Irving, and the whole thing, and you, you, the two societies play each other and everything from frisbee to ping pong to wrestling to swimming, blah, 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 squash. And it all comes down a very heavy-weighted point system, so the whole thing is decided by a declamation contest, a public speaking contest, which is really just a monologue contest on the final night. And uh, on the final night, in front of the whole school and the whole community of the school, um, I think five people from each society end up doing a monologue. And because of the thespian that I am, Rog, uh, uh, we won it that year. Well, you didn't just win. I'm going to read a little bit from the Mercedesburg <laughs> News. It says the hopes. I can't believe you dug this up, and I can't believe Charlie Bell. Uh, the hopes of the long-suffering Irving loyalist reached a new high with the appearance at centre stage of Michael Davis. Yeah. From the opening words of his performance. Yeah. Do you remember what you read? Soldier Nets in Every Good Boy Deserves Favour. I think. An adaptation of Tom Stoppard's Every Good Boy Deserves Favour. Oh yeah, that was Tom. It was a play about Soldier Nets, and it wasn't. It was clear that Davis's command of the language and the material really is mastery of no, the I just did a at that fake, moment. I just did a fake Russian accent. Yeah. <laughs> it would make him a serious contender for the contest top honours, regardless of the judges' tastes, it says in parenthesis. His characterization of a dissident Soviet writer blends irony, black humour, pathos. It's yeah. you on the pod every week yeah. in a way that transports the audiences from the comfortable confines mm-hmm. of Mercersburg to the corridors of a mental hospital. In Moscow. It left I was always a bit Cossack. It left each of us with a haunting feeling of helplessness. <laughs> it was powerful, at times bordering on the transcendent, and one which ultimately made Davis the deserving winner. The really weird thing about that night, I remember two things. I remember walking out there on that stage, wearing red, which felt really odd for me to be wearing red. But as I finished doing this, and it was a really manufactured thing where I took two parts of a play and jammed them together and made it so I could play two characters. So I did a lot of this, Rog, where I was, I was Solzhenitsyn, hello, my name is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and I was speaking to my son. It's like, Papa. It's like, son, Papa, I was doing two characters, pretty much. Oh, and then, um, uh, but I remember at the end of it, it was like a John Hughes movie. Everybody stood and cheered at the end of it. And in the front row leading the applause was Benicio Del, to- Del Turnover, <laughs> Benicio Del Toro, who at that point was just this, like, really, um, how would I describe Benicio in high school? He was a, uh, he was just the, the loudest character, borderline insane, the loudest character, constantly obsessed with Mick Jagger. Every time he saw me, he sang a Rolling Stones song because he thought English kid, Rolling Stones, that was his whole thing. Did you wink at him when he finished and be like, look and learn for the joke. <laughs> no, if you ever want to make like, it, it, it's pretty bizarre that he ended up becoming this sort of huge Academy Award nominated actor. And uh, I remember him cheering at the end. But the, um, and then that night, I had an experience which everybody should have once in their life in America. <sighs> is at the point that they, the, uh, I think it's the headmaster, walked on stage and announced who won. I was lifted on, above, on the shoulders of all of my teammates and paraded around, lifted up on the was shoulders. Was Robin Williams somewhere? I tell you, Robin teacher somehow And as this it. happened, I was just thinking, <laughs> America. <laughs> America, like as though that would happen. If that happened in England, I would have got hit in the face. <laughs> it's exactly what happened to me when I won the chess cup. Yeah, the school chess cup. <laughs> I did get hit in the face. Although I have to say, I love this line. I'm going to read it one more time. You transported the audience <laughs> from the comfortable confines of the school hall to the corridors 
of a mental hospital <laughs> in Moscow, which is exactly how critics have compared our podcast, the Barry yeah, Home podcast. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Thank okay, you very much, much, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie Bell. I'll be speaking <laughs> to you about that. Your weekend looks like this. Stoke versus Arsenal, Saturday, March 1st, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the NBC Sports Network. Uh, Everton versus West Ham. Oh, that's a good game of football. Is Andy Carroll back or not? Still suspended. Saturday, March 1st, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC Live Extra. Southampton versus Liverpool, Saturday, March 1st, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the NBC Sports Network. Brilliant. Good football. And then the big one, Rog, the Capital One Cupity Cup 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 Final. Manchester City versus Sunderland. Jersey Altador plus 10. Oh, that's on the big one. Be in sports. Coverage starts at 8.30 Eastern Time on Sunday. In sports. Most importantly about this weekend, Rebecca Lure. Rebecca Lure returns home. She's back. She's given her grace to the world. And now she's back in our loving arms. Yeah, and each one of my 17 children seems to have a birthday this weekend. A lot of birthdays. In which case, I'll be having a frozen sing-along party on Saturday <laughs> night. Uh, many ways to connect to us. One is at Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go to Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Anytime. And MIB gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of the show. Keep Alex Tepper in purple trousers. He's currently shirtless. He doesn't even have a shirt. Well, if you're wearing purple trousers, and if you've got a body like that, you can, afford, you can afford to be shirtless. Put a leather gillet on, man. Uh, in, in Alex's honour... Uh, we're birthing a new feature, Emporium Choices of the Week, in which we will both post what we are reading, listening to, watching, or just consuming. Rog, what are you putting in the Amazon store this week? Oh, well, I read a lot of crime fiction. My oh, wife I love buys it fiction. for me. I used to read more than I do now. Oh, Le Carre. Yeah. I love the Arcady Renko series. Yeah. I never talked about Olin Steinhauer. I love that uh-huh. man. But I've just read, while I was back in England, the Malcolm Mackay Glasgow Trilogy. Yeah. The first one's The Necessary Death of Lewis Winter. Yeah. Second one, uh, um, How a Gunman Says Goodbye. Set in Glasgow, the, in the grim gut of a British city. Beautiful attention to the detail of the British underworld. And the book details the mental processes people go through in making their decisions. And it's the psychological detail makes this a must read. Malcolm Mackay, if you're listening, please write a David Moyes biography in that <laughs> same terse tone. We'll all understand the man a whole lot better. Uh, so, Rog, as you know, I'm going through, going through some difficult, challenging lifetimes uh, right now. And so what do I do whenever I, when I'm, I'm struggling? I start running a lot. You make a casserole. No, I run a lot and I exercise a lot. Boxing, jumping rope, and that means I need to eat a lot. And I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been rediscovering my love of cooking. My mum always says life feels better when you make a souffle. And so I'm putting in the Le Creuset one and a quarter quart rectangular bakers with bonus baker. These are these wonderful dishes. I'm putting them in the store in blue, uh, but you can choose them in the red if you're an Arsenal or Liverpool fan, green if you love Plymouth and Saint-Étienne, um, and yellow if you love Norwich City, white if you're a Tottenham fan or a Leeds United fan. You can choose them in any colour. Um, but they're just excellent, and I just think there's something wonderful. It's so heavy, then. What? They, they look amazing. The Le Creuset, they're so I heavy. thought you were making a comment about my lasagna, and I was going to be very upset. <laughs> my lasagna isn't really lasagna. It's more spaghetti that I do spaghetti bolognese in layers, Rog. So I do layer of spaghetti, layer of bolognese, layer of spaghetti, layer of bolognese, layer of spaghetti. On top, cheese and tomatoes. Yep. And the thing, a few little peppers in there. Oregano, oregano secret. is my secret ingredient really? in the whole thing. And then I bake. So once I've cooked the pasta, I then bake it, my spaghetti bolognese thing, with the cheese on top, and I bake it. So it's almost like a baked spaghetti bolognese oh. lasagna-ish kind You've of thing. You've made that for the last day of the season, and I'll make, my, I'll make my garlic soup. I'd love to. 
It's a good solid, it's good man food, without a doubt. My garlic Yeah, that's my mother's recipe. Okay, Roger, if you want to laugh this weekend, download our newly released album. Well, it's not that newly released anymore. Top the comedy charts on iTunes right before Christmas. Still pff, chugging along. The sales are still happening, Rog. Men in Blazers unbuttoned. Now, that's what I call suboptimal. You can uh, find out more it's about it. Very us. good for our list, uh, for new listeners. Yeah. And understand what the hell all of it means. I might and have to check you, that out. If you do know what the hell it means, would you let us know, please? Uh, go to our Tumblr. <laughs> go to our Tumblr at meninblazers.com. Follow us on Twitter at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, at Men in Blazers, which is usually exactly the same as at Rog Bennett. Uh, go to our Facebook. Uh, email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunkt, Rog. Warpig. Boom patterns. Dominate. Courage. Size the death. Is that in your analysis? Benicio del Turnover. <laughs> Kung Fu Fighting America. Kung I love Fu you, Rob. Fighting America. I love you, David. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.